0: First Peter chapter 2, Peter chapter 2, and we're going to pick it up in verse 13. Now we read some of this last time, but others of other parts we didn't focus on in last time. Verse 13, First Peter chapter 2, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. And the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God. That by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men. And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil. But use it as bondslaves slaves of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. <laughs> okay. So he starts out. He says submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. Everything we do in a proper manner is for the Lord's sake. He is not just saying submit yourselves just for the fun of it. He said submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. And that little bit of wording for the Lord's sake puts on a whole new perspective for us now. When we do something for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, it changes the whole dynamic. You can do things that are really unpleasant to you personally if you do it for the Lord's sake. Very often we have to work with people and, and uh, that work that we do with people is, is not easy with working with certain people. Not all people are equally loving. Yes, God loves all of them, but I'm not God, all right? I, I am, and so I li- love different people with different amounts of love because some people are much easier to love than others and you know exactly what I'm talking about. <clears throat> So when you have to do something for somebody that is not that lovable or somebody who is coming against you, you do it for the Lord's sake and it changes the perspective. There's a perspective change on this when you do something for the Lord's sake. I think we need to... There, there's some chairs up here. There's a few more chairs. And Cody, could you grab a few more chairs and start moving them in? Thank you. <clears throat> All right. So... so. Um, uh, we do things for the Lord's sake. So he's what he's saying to them. Before I even get into it, just remember this is for the Lord's sake. So he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So for women that think that men are not told to submit, we're told to submit right alongside of women in this to submit to every human institution, whether to king as to one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. And uh, um, then in, in verse 16, act as free men. We are free. Remember, we are free in Christ. He does not save us and deliver us from Satan and then put us into bondage. No way. We go from bondage to Satan, we get saved, we become free. And then we can willingly submit ourselves as bond slaves to Jesus. Bond slaves were people that would willingly submit themselves to slavery. That's what he urges us to do. Paul urges us to do that. Peter urges us to do that. Paul urges us. He says, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. And then he urges us to submit our whole bodies. He doesn't command us, he urges us, because bond slave is not by command, bond slave is willingly, that I willingly submit myself to you. He says, act as free men, but do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Take your freedom and use it as a bond slave for the Lord. That's what he's talking about here. And so, so... You say, well, what do, you do, do we do everything that the government tells us? Now, this is Peter writing this, all right? This is the Apostle Peter. Well, let's look at Peter's life, because what the scriptures show us is we are to obey every human institution until it conflicts with what God has commanded us to do. And in those cases, God takes precedent. And so let's look at, at, at Peter's life. Let's look in Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 4, verse 18. Acts 4, verse 18 and onward. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or to teach in the name of Jesus. So the, the, the Jewish leaders had commanded Peter and John not to speak in the name of Jesus. Verse 19 of Acts chapter 4. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. When they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis on which to punish them on account of the people, because they were glorifying God for what had happened. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. So a miracle of healing, the man that couldn't walk was now able to walk. And it was because the people... It was the people that allowed, it was because of outside influence that caused this Jewish council to let them go. It was because of the people, and God will often do that. He'll put such pressure on those in authority from outside influences to cause them to change their mind of what they would normally do. And this is exactly what we see here. Peter himself was commanded by the Jewish authorities not to speak in this name. And he said, you be the judge. Or we, or should we obey you rather than God? You be the judge. So clearly, when Peter tells us to obey every human institution, if the human institution tells us that we should do something that is contrary to what God has instructed us to do, we do what God instructs us to do. And that was the demise of all of the, uh, of all of the apostles, that was, and, and then all of the, the early disciples, many of them went to their graves for not worshiping the Roman gods. Many of them went to their graves for not denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They would not say the things that the government wanted them to say. They went to their death instead. Let's, let's think, is, is that just an anomaly? Let's look in Acts chapter 5, again, an occurrence with Peter. So Peter doesn't stop speaking about the Lord after he's instructed not to. And so he's called back in again. Acts chapter 5, verse 27. When they had brought them, they stood them before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So what he's saying is when you're teaching these things and you're bringing the blood of Jesus upon us, well, remember, that's exactly what they asked for. They said, His blood be upon us. Crucify Him. His blood be upon us and upon our children. Be careful what you say. They cried out, His blood be upon us and upon our children. So about 30 years after, about 35 years after they had proclaimed, His blood be upon us and upon our children, they and their children were killed in, in, in the uh, uh, Roman attack on Jerusalem in the 70 AD judgment. They had proclaimed that upon themselves. Be very careful what you claim upon yourself and what you claim upon your children. And uh, uh, that's exactly what happened to them in verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. These people just said, you're bringing this guy's blood on us. Boom. <laughs> he, just, he said, yeah, you, you had him put to death. By hanging him on a cross. It's your fault. I mean, you see, these guys aren't pulling punches here. The gospel cuts. The gospel hacks. The gospel convicts. They weren't saying, well, you know, we understand you were kind of confused that day. There was a big mob. No, it's because of you guys. You guys put him to death. You did it. The blood is on your hands. Then he goes on. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel. And forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit. Whom God has given to those who obey him. I mean, these guys didn't pull any punches with this stuff. It was very very strong words. That they were talking about. This is what was happening. And so they... We obey the government. You say, well, why would Peter say this? The government probably wasn't that bad back then. Well, I've read, I've read to you some of these portions before, but let's read what was going on during this time period in Rome. Let's see some of the things that were going on during this time period. Um, so within this century in which this is written, here's some of the the things that, that were happening. So so Rome, of course, is on this Italian peninsula. The lusty peninsula was worn out with 20 years of civil war. Its farms had been neglected. Its towns had been sacked or besieged. And and so I'm reading not from a Christian book. I'm reading from from, uh, um, Caesar and Christ by Will Durant, who's who's the greatest historian of the 20th century. Not a Christian. Here's what he writes. Uh, Its farms had been neglected. Its towns had been sacked or besieged. Much of its wealth had been stolen or destroyed. Administration and protection had broken down. Robbers made every street unsafe at night. Highwaymen roamed the roads. Kidnappers traveled, kid, they Kidnapped travelers and sold them into slavery. Trade diminished, investments stood still. Interest rates soared, property values fell. Morals which had been loosened by riches and luxury had not been improved by destitution and chaos for few conditions are more demoralizing than poverty that comes after wealth. Rome was full of men who had lost their economic footing and their moral stability. Soldiers who had tasted adventure and had learned to kill. Citizens who had seen their savings consumed in the taxes and inflation of war and waited vacuously for some return, some returning tide to lift them back to affluence. Women dizzy with freedom, multiplying divorces, abortions and adulteries, childlessness Childlessness was spreading as the ideal of a declining vitality, and a shallow sophistication prided itself upon its pessimism and cynicism. This was not a full picture of Rome, but a dangerous disease burning in its blood. On the sea, piracy had returned, rejoicing in the suicide of states. Cities and provinces licked their wounds after the successive extractions, that means the taxes, of Sulla, Lucilus, Pompeii, Gabonius, Caesar, Brutus, and Cassius. So that gives you a picture. Things were not very pleasant in the century in which he was writing these things. Let's look, at, let's look at what taxes might have been like. The assembly ratified the triumvirate and gave it full power for five years. So three men were given full power for five years by the Senate. So here's what they did. This is the Senate that gave them full power. To pay their troops, replenish their coffers, and revenge Caesar, the three men now let loose the bloodiest reign of terror in Roman history. They listed 300 senators and 2,000 businessmen for execution, and offered 25,000 drachmas that that would be $15,000 to any freeman, and 10,000 to any slave who would bring in the head of a person proscribed. To have money became a capital crime. Children... To whom fortunes had been left were condemned and killed. Widows were shorn of their legacies. Fourteen hundred rich women were required to turn over large shares of their property to the, the triumvirs. At last even the savings deposited with the Vestal Virgins were seized. That's their, their idols, their their, their, their uh, priestly idols. Atticus was spared because he had helped Antony's wife Fulvia. While acknowledging the courtesy, he sent great sums to Brutus and Cassius. The triumvirs set their soldiers to guard all exits from the city. The proscribed hid in wells, sewers, attics, chimneys. Some died resisting. Some submitted quietly to their slayers. Some starved, hanged, or drowned themselves. Some leapt from a roof or into a fire. Some were killed by mistake. Some not proscribed, committed suicide on the bodies of the slain relatives. Salvius, the triumvir. The tribune, knowing himself doomed, gave a feast to his friends, the emissaries of the triumvirs, entered, cut off his head, left his body at the table, and bade the feast go on. Slaves took the opportunity to get rid of hard masters, but many fought to the death to protect their owners. One disguised himself as his master and suffered decapitation in his stead. Sons died to protect their fathers. Others betrayed their fathers to inherit a part of their fortunes. Adulterers or deceived wives surrendered their husbands. The wife of Coponius secured his safety by sleeping with Antony. Antony's wife, Fulvia had tried to buy the mansion of her neighbor, Rufus. He had refused to sell. Now, though he offered it to her as a gift, she had him proscribed and nailed his severed head to his front door. There, Brutus and Cassius had massed the last Republican army financed by exactions beyond even Roman precedent. From the eastern cities of the empire, they demanded and received Ten years taxes in advance. When the Rhodians proved reluctant, Cassius stormed the great port, ordered all citizens to surrender their wealth, killed those who hesitated and carried away $10 million equivalent in 10 million dollars equivalent. In Cilicia, he quartered his soldiers in homes of Tarsus till it paid him $9 million to leave. To raise the sum, the citizens auctioned off the municipal lands, melted down all the temple vessels and ornaments, and sold free persons into slavery, first boys and girls, then women and old men, finally ewes. Many, on learning uh, that they had been sold, killed themselves, kill themselves. In Judea, so this is in Judea now. In Judea, Cassius levied, levied $4.2 million and sold the inhabitants of four towns into slavery. Brutus, too, could raise money by force. When the citizens of Licinian Xanthus refused his demands, he besieged them, starving and starving, but obdurate, they committed suicide in mass. Okay, not very friendly government, right? So our government seems like angels compared to them. So if you think that you're going to use your, 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 this text uh, 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 to, to not pay taxes or something, I mean, this is what the people were going through and it is in this century that Peter is writing this, that he says, honor the king. This is what they're up against here. All right, so let's read on. Now, verses, verses uh, in, in 2 Peter chapter, chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, we covered last time. And, and uh, uh, at, at some point, we will talk more about slavery. Uh, there's a whole chapter on, on returning of a, of a, of a slave but, but, uh, called Philemon. There's a whole book on it. But, but talks about how as believers, you should, as a believer, you should let this guy go. But anyway, we'll get to that at another time. So let's start reading from verse, verse 20. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it and patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. So when you go through something that is not of your own instigation and you suffer for it, it finds favor with God. We talked about that last time. So let's read in verse 21. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might we might die to sin and live right, live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed for you were continually going astray like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. All right. So he says in verse 21, for you have been called to this purpose. What purpose? The second half of verse 20. You've been called to suffer and endure it. You have we have been called to suffering. So when we get this attitude, well, God wouldn't want me to suffer through this. I ask you, why would you think that? Why would you think that he would not want you to have suffering in your life? Why are you so unique? Every Christian goes through suffering. And the Bible tells us in verse 21, for you have been called to this purpose. You've been called to suffer. You've been called to this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps. Just like he suffered, you're to suffer. Just like he suffered, we are supposed to suffer. But in his case, in verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Jesus didn't commit any sins. At least for us, we could say, well, I'm a stinking sinner anyway. I'm only getting what I deserve in many many ways. But for him, he knew no sin, There was no deceit in his mouth, and still he suffered, and he set an example for us. This is part of life. You go through these things. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he murmured no threats. You never see Jesus saying, well, you hung me on this. You wait. You just wait. I mean, your whole city of Jerusalem in 70 AD is going to be destroyed for what you've done to me. You just wait. He didn't. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He uttered no threats. He didn't say, he, wait, wait until I, I, I talk to my lawyer about this. He didn't. And and, uh, and he says, he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So um, how did Jesus deal with this? Well, he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That's what he did. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So how did Jesus handle all of this attack, all of these things, people, you read about this in the Gospels where the leaders were saying of him, the, these mean things they, they were saying, he, he, uh, he deceives the crowds, they would say, after you've just healed masses of them. How did Jesus deal with this? Well, it says he would deal with it in this way. In verse 23, he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He entrusted himself to God. He entrusted himself to God. Let's see what what some of those times of entrustment were like. Let's look in Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4. You can see the prayers of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 50. You say, well, Jesus wasn't born yet. No, Jesus has always been. And there's many things we learn in the Old Testament that we never see in the New Testament. And so this is prophecy concerning Jesus. And so you see Jesus' prayer in this. In Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4, The Lord God has given me the tongue of of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. So he establishes, he says, Lord, he says, the Lord awakens me. Every morning, the Lord awakens me. He awakens me. This is Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. Every, every, every day, he awakens me to listen as his disciple. For over 43 years, every morning, I've awakened and spent time with the Lord. And I love it. I love it. To me, that, that is just the, the power in my life, is this time with the Lord. He says, he's given me the tongue of disciples so I know how to sustain the weary one with the word. How can Jesus just keep giving out? Doesn't he just run out? Isn't he like, all right, guys, just give me a day off. Just leave me alone for a little while. You see how hard I've been working? Do do you see it? You've seen it, didn't you? Just give me a break. No, he was never like that. He's just, just constantly giving out. How did he do it? He said, he said, He's given me the tongue of the disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. I could sustain someone who's weary with a word. Now, Jesus could speak quite sharply to the religious leaders. But to those in need, he was tender and merciful. And that's why prostitutes would just come around him. The sinners would come around him. And they would they would just flock around him. And then the Pharisees would make fun of him because of that. And And he says... I wasn't disobedient, nor did I turn back, because he strengthened me. And what's the outcome of that in verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 50? Verse 6, I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. And you read about that in the Gospels, that people would, they would spit in his face. They spit in his face, and we read here that they, they pulled out his beard. And, uh, like, like Jewish men at the time, he would have a, he had a beard, and, and uh, so it 's not quite like the you know, the northern European sharp-featured man that you might see in a movie today, and, and he had a beard, and, and it says, they, they, they pulled it out, they pulled out his beard, and he says, "But it's because of the strength I got in the morning." Then he says in verse seven, "For the Lord, God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced." Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. He who vindicates me is near. I mean, this is how Jesus was able to sustain this. Peter tells us that he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. How did Jesus endure this? Boom, we see it right here. He endured this, as we learn in in, in Isaiah. He endured this, he says, for the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I am not disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. I'm going. And I I know that I will not be ashamed. And he who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? He knows that in the end, he is going to win. How do we endure in these things? We endure by spending time with the Lord. We endure by spending time just as he had said. That is how we endure. He says that... that, uh, uh, who will contend with me? Let us stand up to each other. Who has a case, a case against me? Let him draw near. He's like, come on. Come on. You got more to say? Come on. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who is the one who contends with me? Behold, they will all wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them. Who is among you that fears the Lord, that obeys the voice of his servant, that walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely on his God. Behold, all you who kindle a fire, this means the the evil people, kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with firebrands, walk in the light of your fire and among the brands that you have set, this you will have from my hand, you will lie down in torment. Jesus knew what their final end was. Jesus knew what their end was. And he said, you can bring it on. You can bring it on. This happens in life. This happens in life. You know, last week, I showed, you, I showed you something from the Thresher, where, where um, it's a really interesting story. Let me, let me share some slides with you here. Um, last week, I shared this with you. Um, this thing was, was in the Thresher, where they put me on the back page. The back page is a satirical page. No big deal. It's a satirical page. They kind of made fun of a few things, um, Okay, so they made fun of me with a few things and they said, come to my office hours, you know, he'll, he'll purify you chemically and spiritually and he'll pray for you and the first 25 students are going to receive a signed Bible from me and then they mockingly say some things. So I made the back page and then many of you were, were, were felt bad for me because there was a Twitter firestorm that had, had ensued that week. Uh, When I spoke on campus, when I spoke on Origin of Life with no mention of God, and many people came in that they felt so bad for me, didn't have to feel bad because I never read what was going on. So I was oblivious to it until I walked in there. Well, it didn't stop here. It didn't stop with the back page. So just this week, just this week, I, I got an email from a colleague. My colleague said, Jim, do you know anything about this? She got an email from the thresher. She got this email from the thresher which is the, the student magazine, and so this was to my colleague Naomi Hallis, a professor, and so that was just this week, and she says, hello Dr. Hallis, I hope your week is going well so far, one of the editors in the chief, editors in chief of the Rice Thresher, I see seeing my co-editor, and on, the, on this email as well, since, since uh, we're working on this story together. We're currently looking into claims about James Tours specifically discriminatory and misogynistic beliefs and behaviors. A graduate student in chemistry mentioned that you might be willing to speak to us about your knowledge of the situation or interactions that you may have had with him. Would you be open to setting up a time to chat? And, that's, and so they go on. Okay, so, so um, I'm wondering, there's, 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 uh, there's accusations that I've been discriminatory with misogynistic Beliefs and actions. Now, beliefs, people can have beliefs. You can't. You know, there's no crime in believing whatever you want. But actions, behaviors, discriminatory behaviors that are misogynistic, meaning that I, 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 I uh, 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 treat women differently than men. So I'm wondering. Wow, this is really bad. So I wrote back to Dr. Hallis. I said I have no idea what it's about. Usually, the way this is handled is it goes to the Title IX office. The Title IX office is an office. So the, normally this goes to the Title IX office, and the Title IX office talks with the accuser, finds out the veracity of the accusation, and then the next thing they do is talk to me. They call me. They don't go calling my colleagues and saying, hey, this thing is, it. what do you think of this? They make a third phone call to the chair of my department and just say, we're, we're talking with Jim Tour, uh, but they don't say what the nature of it is. Well, so... so um, I wrote to, to, you know, I right away sent this to the, my, the chair of my department, who's my superior. I sent it to the dean of the graduate school, because the graduate school involved, and to the the, uh, the Title IX office, the SAFE office. And they came back from the SAFE, they said, we don't have any report on you. The thresher sometimes likes to look into rumors. So I contacted the thresher. I said, y- you know, I, y- y- you got this going on. I mean why isn't this referred to the title IX office i told him i said I, I know you're amazing investigative reporters because you work for the thresher but why don't you let a, a group handle this that is, really has training in this and uh they came back they said well there were these rumors on that instagram uh that instagram event that they've been taken down and the rumors came from the instagram i'm like and instagram rumors are what you're acting upon and I said, you know, why don't you look on the internet? You'll find a lot more dirt on me than what came out in those Instagram things. You, you can find lots of things that people have said about me and knock yourself out, write All sorts of things if you want to. But that was their source. But you see, based on that source, they've written to my colleagues, and I don't know that they've only written to Naomi Halas, who about these misogynistic beliefs and, and behaviors. You know, And so, so it's not done there. And they're not done. And, and, and I said, so I gave them the name of five of my female graduates just in the last two years. Five people that got their PhDs with me. Five women that got their PhDs with me in the last two years. That's a lot. And, uh, and I gave them the names and the emails. And I calculated with the amount of hours that I, I spend six hours in meetings with all of my graduate students every week, plus an extra hour individually on average, so that's 1,200 hours throughout their, their four-year career, 1,200 hours with each of my graduate students. So I said, each one of these women has had 1,200 hours with me. Why don't you ask them? Dr. Hallis maybe sees me an hour a month, probably less than that. But no, they're gonna, they're, they have their own sources. And I gave them other faculty that have spent a lot more hours with me. I said, go ahead, ask away. And they're gonna continue this investigation. So, you know, what do I do? I just I just go back to my Lord. I just go back to my Lord. These types of things happen. They happen. If you are going to make a stand for the Lord, they happen. And, uh, uh, and, and if you're going to make a stand for the Lord and openly stand for the Lord, things will happen on the Internet. People will write things about you. And it hurts. And they'll try to cancel you or they'll try to shame you. But if you try to fight this thing yourself, you're going to be Damaged. You go back to the Lord, and I have perfect peace. So these people are calling me. So the chair of my department he says, the flesh is terrible. I haven't heard any report on you. This is, you, you, you know, he's telling me all these things that I should do to, to fight this thing. The dean of the graduate school gets back to me he says, this is so sad, what they're doing. And he says, I haven't heard any reports on you. So, so uh, these people that are calling me to comfort me, I'm like, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm really okay. Because I know Because he who has sent me is trustworthy. He who has sent me is trustworthy. It says right here, it says that he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. I entrust myself to Jesus. I fear for these two young reporters. I fear for them because I know how my God defends me. I fear for them. You think, oh, come on, nothing will happen to them. You don't know that. My God is a serious God. And you start making accusations against his children. Serious things happen. And I fear for what's happening. And then I even said, you know, when you do this type of thing, it is damaging to me personally, and it's damaging to my career. And she wrote back, oh, I'm sure nothing will happen to you with your research being as famous as it is and you having tenure. Nothing's really going to happen. And I was like, that's like... Saying you got you totaled your car, and I say, well, you're insured; it doesn't matter. Or you totaled your car, and you, your daddy's going to buy you a new one. So, and I say, your daddy'll buy a new one; it doesn't matter. I said that that that's quite cold of you to, to come with that response. To think that these things don't have ramifications upon people, but they just flat out don't care. And so, Instagram becomes their source of information, rather than 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 uh, uh, and then telling my colleagues these sorts of things. They said, well, we give your colleagues context. I said, where was the context to Dr. Hallis? You never told her that this was through an Instagram firestorm. You just told her that these things are going around. And so uh, anyway, these things happen. This is life. This is life. But you just commit yourself to him who judges righteously. And and uh, I called my daughter, and she was just... Well, I copied my daughter because my daughter is my lawyer, so I copied her, and she she is my lawyer, so it's free. It's free. And she right away called me. She says, do you want me to write a cease and desist letter? I said, no, no, it's okay. And then she was so distraught about this thing that she goes home to my wife, and and and, uh, and my wife calls me, are you okay? Are you okay? I like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Because I know... Whom I have believed. I know who has sent me. He is trustworthy. This is what he has for us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much. That you have called us for this very thing. And you warned us. Thank you, Lord, that this has come upon me. Even this week. As I'm studying this chapter. This is by your divine providence, Lord. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Because you do all things well. Thank you, Lord, for your protection, for your grace, for your mercy. Blessed be your name. Thank you, my Father, for how good you have been. Blessed be your name. Father, I pray for these young people that they would learn to draw upon you daily like Jesus did, morning by morning, that you would give them the ear to listen as a disciple. Father, do that in these young lives, I pray that their lives would start out knowing that every morning you're going to share time with them and they with you. And, Father, that it would give them the strength to stand in the midst of whatever would come in their lives, whatever challenges. And, Lord, I pray for those here who are not believers, that they would receive you, that they would see the power and instruction in this word, and that they would long for you. Lord, your mercies be there. Blessed be your name. Lord, I commit these lives to you. Draw them to Jesus for your glory. Amen.